Now we like to describe it as bringing a picture of on the ground reality. When we've done the speed test analysis, I can see the reality of broadband. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And today we are breaking ground in some ways. Uh, we are talking with Tom Reed, president and founder of Reed Consulting. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Chris. Happy to be here. Yes, and I'm excited to, to talk about how we can use speed tests effectively around the bead rules. Uh, this has been something that a lot of people have uh, been talking about, frustrations for how the FCC deals with it. I think an understanding of why it's complicated and um, how to use this data or these data in effective ways, um, you know, given that uh, there's a number of potential problems with any individual speed test. Um, so uh, before we get into that, though, uh, why don't you give us a quick sense of what uh, Reed Consulting is? Sure. Yeah. Reed Consulting Group, we're a boutique consulting firm dealing with uh, broadband, uh, cybersecurity, and uh, overall um, IT management design. And you're in Athens, Ohio, and we met through the uh, the Appalachia uh, Accelerator that Connect Humanity is doing with uh, the Appalachian Regional Commission. That's right. Yeah, Athens, Ohio has been my home for a long time. Lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else. So I consider myself a native, even if other people don't. And for people who aren't familiar, that's in the southeast part of Ohio. Uh, it's uh, the Appalachian region part of Ohio down there. Uh, I've only been down there one time, but I greatly enjoyed it. We're in the Appalachian foothills, and we're also the home of Ohio University. Right, which is not the Ohio State University. Ohio University has the green uniforms in sports, I believe. Well, and we date back all the way to 1804 is the founding of Ohio University. Excellent. The uh, The question today, we're going to be talking about speed tests. And um, you have developed a way, uh, it seems, to use these speed tests in ways that provide a lot of useful information, as well as being uh, persuasive to the state of Ohio, perhaps others, uh, as to how they can um, use uh, these data uh, to, I think, surface some of the problems that we might have missed otherwise. Is that, like, how would you describe what you're doing with the speed test data? And we like to describe it as bringing a picture of on-the-ground reality. When we've done the speed test analysis and presented it to stakeholders, for instance, to county commissioners, we've gotten very strong responses from them of, oh, finally, I can see the reality of broadband. And this has been so much needed because the FCC continues this trust but never verify uh, sort of approach. So the old Form 477, everybody knew it was flawed. Uh, we got this great amount of funding into the FCC from Congress to do better mapping. And in one way, it's better in the sense that it's down to specific locations, but it's still a trust but never verify. So there's still dramatic overstatements of availability in the FCC maps. So we found the speed test data to be absolutely essential in trying to bring uh, a sense of reality uh, to, to the actual experience of the households in any given area. And I want to note that there are some other folks who are doing cool things with speed tests. Uh, it just so happens that uh, with Tom's approach, I thought it was 
particularly relevant for some of the conversations we're having with uh, state offices and things like that. So, um, so no, uh, no oversight, Glenn Fishbein and and others who are working with this data as well. Um, I've done, uh, I think breaking um, uh, some new ground, but um, let me ask you uh, another clarifying question for people who are not super familiar. Um, and that is to ask, well, why can't we just trust the speed test data? Uh, people are doing millions upon millions of speed tests. Why can't we just take it out of the box, chart it, and call it a day? Yeah, that's a good question, uh, Chris. And I, I want to reiterate what you were saying is there are a number of people around the country that have been very innovative in their use of speed test data. So we're not alone in that effort. Uh, there's been a lot of discouragement in that community recently because of the FCC stance on it. But for instance, in the state of Ohio, when we bought the data, so when we say speed tests, we're using the UCLA speed test intelligence data. And we usually get one year historical, one year forward data. Well, the one year historical in Ohio had millions of speed tests in it. So it's just a tremendous amount of data. Every speed test methodology has weaknesses. Um, UCLA, MLAB, they all have weaknesses. So you have to work around those weaknesses. And we stuck with the UCLA data just because of the sheer volume of data that's available to us so that we can then do statistical analysis to try to accommodate the kinds of issues that you run into with the speed test data. So for instance, um, if someone has just subscribed to a really low speed package, this is something ISPs bring up frequently. And that's true, it's gonna test as a low speed package because that's what they bought. But the idea that everybody in any given geography did that is just a falsehood, that where broadband is truly available, about a third of the people in that area will take the highest speed available to them. So if all you see is really bad speeds, you know that it's bad. Um, the other is that maybe they've misconfigured their environment. They have a bad Wi-Fi uh, configuration. Again, the preponderance of evidence is where that comes in is just what do you see um, and is it widespread? And then the other is um, that there's a problem. There's a malfunction and that's why the person is running a speed test. And certainly that is a reason you run a speed test, but most people would also then run speed tests again to make sure it was fixed. So, hey, my cable modem is not providing the service that I thought it should. Uh, I'll reset the, the modem, reset my router, do a few more tests, and they go, okay, that resolved it. Or I need to call the service provider. They tell me it's fixed. I'm going to run some more tests to do that. So what we do is we take the maximum speed ever seen in any given location. And um, so you can, you know, you might see 20 tests out of a given location. We'll take that maximum speed out of that location and use that for our mapping to defeat these various types of myths. And when you say location, do you mean IP address? Um, the UCLA locations are to three decimal places of latitude and longitude. So that gets you to about a football field size resolution. So in an urban area, you're going to have multiple households in an UCLA location. You get off into the rural areas, pretty good chance you're dealing with a single household in that location. But it's any households that are within about 100 meters of each other. Yeah, and I'll just throw out there. I mean, I've been in this situation where I've been having some problems and I dig around, I uh, do a speed test. It's not very great. I then 
walk my laptop over to the modem. I plug it directly in and I see mm -hmm. is the problem, you know, with uh, something in my house or is the problem outside? And then I get a really good speed test and I know that this is my problem, not Comcast. Uh, mm -hmm. So then you would take the faster speed test out of that collection. Exactly. The other thing I wanted to note is the Euclid data has other information too. Like you, I believe, are able to detect if someone is on the outskirts of their Wi-Fi coverage and doing a speed test, right? That's right. So one of the fields that the UPA data, there's a lot of information in there. And so one of the first is how much latency is there in the very first hop from the device to the Wi-Fi router or what is the signal level? And so if it's a bad Wi-Fi connection, we drop those records. From the analysis. So you're able to still have plenty of data to work with in these regions. Yeah. We end up losing about half the records because if there's no GPS data, um, we throw the record out. If the GPS information has an accuracy of uh, worse than 200 meters, we throw the record out. So some of the speed tests end up basically going to the centroid of a census block or the centroid mm -hmm. of a county. We don't find that real helpful. Um, so we only look for ones with a high level of GPS accuracy. Okay. And so now we uh, have all these records and uh, what, what have you done with them then aside from making more accurate maps than other people have? <laughs> yeah. So what we do is we take those and we see if we have enough data to grade census blocks. So we've stuck with the census blocks because the census blocks nest you can do census blocks, block groups, tracks, and they nest. This weird H3 uh, architecture that the FCC has gone with, so H3R8 is what they publish. If you go up the hierarchy, they don't nest. If you go down the hierarchy, they don't nest. It's a, a very difficult uh, to, to project and kind of aggregate bigger groups. So we, we've stuck with census boundaries. So we uh, grade census blocks. If there's not enough UPA data to grade the census block, we'll compare it to other blocks in that block group and see if they're similar population density. If they are, we'll go ahead and assign it the value of the block group. And so far, we've been able to get very close to 100% either through the block or block group rating. And um, population density turns out to be just a wonderful predictor uh, of broadband that you get into low population density and people just haven't put investment dollars there, even if they were paid to do it. <laughs> right. That's a, a big pet peeve of mine is we've spent about $100 billion over the last 30 years from the FCC to the carriers to solve the rural infrastructure issue. And I don't know where the money went, but it didn't go to, to rural telecommunications infrastructure. Right. I think one of the things that we talk about sometimes is that the uh, the mapping lines up very well with where the largest companies got the money. Because uh, if you look at, um, you know, North Dakota, amazing connectivity. Uh, if you look at Illinois, there's a lot of local providers that have done a good job. Minnesota is right in between there, has a lot of great rural coverage. Uh, and so I'm guessing you see that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a little uh, Southeastern Ohio telephone company, Minford Telephone Company, they built fiber to the home throughout their entire footprint instead of uh, using the money for other business initiatives. 
I want to come back and there's a few people, I think, um, myself included, who aren't entirely sure what you said about GIS. But if I could, um, if I could interpret what I think is the FCC releases the data in a format that it has picked for some reasons, but that is not really just super useful for the analysis that you want to do. And so you basically translate it back and forth as needed. Um, but, um, uh, and that's just, uh, I think probably not super important for the purposes of this call, but it is just worth noting that nothing is easy in this work. <laughs> no, the FCC data does include census blocks. So you'll see, this is the H3R8 designation. Here's the census block designation. So it is helpful from that way, but the H3R8, R8 hexagons don't line up with census block boundaries either. So it's an imperfect uh, process until you get all the way down to the individual point data. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we have a sense of what the region is looking like. Um, you've used this, I think, to work with local governments to give them a better sense of, of where they have problems and where they don't have problems. Is that right? Have they Have they found this to be really effective? Yeah, we have um, three councils of government that retained us over the last few years to do this mapping uh, for them. And we just map the whole state because it's easier than carving out specific counties. So we mapped the whole state, which was helpful. Um, but in these Appalachian counties that we focused on, our very first reality check was to go to the county commissioners and say, this is what we think reality is. Um, and, and any other stakeholders that commissioners wanted to bring in. And we found just tremendous agreement with our findings. So that was really helpful to, to get that sort of um, truth check from those folks. And it's um, it's had a big impact on advocacy. So these county commissioners can go into the governor's office or to their legislators and say, hey, this is the reality that we see. We think this is correct. And so it's, it's really empowered uh, people with the talking points. And then um, we also have shared all this information with the information or the internet service providers and the rural electric cooperatives. Um, and it's been leveraged in about 52% of the wins in the first round of Ohio's broadband expansion grant program. Our data was considered acceptable evidence that an area was unserved um, and about 130 million awarded out of that program to people using our data. And all of them were about a 50% match. So that's about a quarter billion dollars worth of projects that have been launched specifically uh, off of our data. And the, the state also then contracted with us to create a profile for every county in the state uh, based on that speed test data. And we'll, we'll come back to the state in a second, but I wanted to note, you're talking to local officials and I feel like local officials, in many cases, I'm guessing, are people who are like, we're hearing that this is a problem. We kind of know that it's a problem for our lived experience, but we see data from the federal government saying that we actually have pretty good coverage. And I don't know, many of these people aren't very technical. Maybe they just don't know how to use it. Like what's really going on? And then you're able to step in and say, well, here's real life data that I think they can say, oh, good. I'm not crazy. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. And and then similarly in the state capital, you know, for the folks who are who are doing this can say, oh, okay, now I'm hearing constantly from some companies that uh, they don't have service and, and the companies that provide service are saying, no, 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 we yeah, look at these maps, we're, mm -hmm. we're providing coverage, but but you can present a real picture on the ground of, of what it looks like. You've had maps 
uh, I've seen that have shown, um, you know, areas that look fairly well served with some holes here or there are actually mostly holes and not covered. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the FCC, what I call the ISP fantasy for the state of Ohio and compare it to the reality that we believe exists. It's stark. And basically, there's almost no broadband problem at all, according to the FCC maps in the state of Ohio, when we're saying there's hundreds of thousands of households that can't even get 25-3 services in the state of Ohio. So a really big disconnect there between the FCC maps. And for the for the people on the ground, it's like a gaslighting. You know, if we can refer back to, I think that movie is made back in the 40s, um, the idea that we just keep saying something is true, even though the people on the ground know it's not. It's extremely frustrating. Uh, there's a, a little village called Amesville in Athens County. And the mayor of Amesville got the whole his whole council together to sign a letter that he sent to the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio and to the FCC saying, look, your maps say that we have mobile services and your maps say we have good broadband services. Neither of those is true. And in a lot of times, if it rains, we lose our landline telephone services. So we're really talking about taking these communities back to the 1930s, while the maps say everything's fine there. Um, and it had no impact. It, their letter had no impact on the FCC. It had no impact on the Public Utilities Commission. The maps were not updated. They were skipped in the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. So it's really frustrating people on the ground, and it feeds this sort of distrust uh, of the government, which is really unfortunate. Yes, I, I think that it's a, it's a significant issue. I mean, I try to avoid being too political on this show, but I part of growing up is is recognizing that the things that you view as like, this is the first time it's ever happened, is that it's it has happened a lot before. Mm-hmm. But it does feel like we are in a particular era of people saying, don't believe your eyes right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is very frustrating. Well, and you, there's not really a Republican or Democratic angle on this. The problems with these maps, the problems with uh, funding carriers and not having any accountability, it's spanned Republican and Democratic mm-hmm. administrations. Uh, it doesn't seem to make any difference. I agree. Although I always feel like as a person who hates false equivalents, I do feel like um, the both sides are not equally to blame. It does feel mm-hmm. to me like, I mean, one of the things we'll say right now is all of this money going into broadband is because of uh, Democrats in Congress who made it happen. The Biden administration prioritized mm-hmm. it. There's no reason we couldn't have done this uh, earlier in the during one of the infrastructure weeks of the Trump administration. So no, with that, That's with true. that, I'm going to just uh, uh, for people who are frustrated with not agreeing with my politics, I hear you. Um, but the interesting thing is what comes next then, Tom, which is that um, you've done what I think, you know, is, what we've described so far is is interesting. But what's really powerful is that the state of Ohio listened to you and mm-hmm. it has reversed the burden of proof when it comes down to who is responsible for proving whether or not a given area has service uh, in different regions. So walk us through how uh, we got there. Yeah, it, it took a it took a while. Um, there were briefings. So the the head of the Broadband Ohio office is a fellow named Peter Voderberg, really talented individual, knows a lot about broadband. 
And when I first met him, there was no broadband Ohio. We went up to brief him on broadband topics because he was advising the governor's office on those topics. Then later they appointed him head of broadband Ohio. We were really pleased to see that he understood our conversation. I mean, he he caught on right away, uh, started asking really good questions, and that has just continued. He a lot of states are not blessed with really good broadband offices. Ohio is blessed with a very good broadband office. And um, so we did end up with Peter and I went to the Lieutenant Governor's office to explain the methodology, explain the findings. And at that point, the Lieutenant Governor's office accepted it and uh, allowed us to publish these on Broadband Ohio's website. You know, it's, a, it's an ongoing effort uh, to try to convince politicians and the, the lobbying from the telecom industry is very intense. So we're, we're lucky this is stuck in the bead program. The big first decision are pre-challenge modifications. So every state has to put in their volume one of their initial plan, their plan to do pre-challenge modifications. And Ohio has been pretty aggressive in their plans. Let me just quickly see if I can do this quick for people who uh, most people, I think, are like, I kind of know what you're talking about, but I always, I always try to go through this. So the states had to develop a five-year plan. Most of those states have done that. That five-year plan is either being reviewed right now or soon will be reviewed, already has been reviewed by uh, NTIA. Uh, that informs the initial plan, and some states are are very close to finishing their uh, volume one of their initial plan, mm-hmm. um, and they will then have to do volume two, and then they will get a pot of money after that's approved. Um, then they will do a final plan. Um, the important part of this is that they have to develop a challenge process. And the challenge process is basically saying that at a certain point, the list of eligible locations that can get money to get better internet access will be fixed and it will not change. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're going to do a big challenge process to fix that. And, uh, and so the NTIA has offered suggestions for challenge processes mm-hmm. and states are doing a, a pre-challenge process that you're talking about. So what does mm-hmm. the pre-challenge process do? So the pre-challenge modification, the state takes the map from the FCC and then applies their pre-challenge modifications that NTIA has approved. For instance, in the state of Tennessee, they're saying we're we're doing no pre-challenge modifications in their uh, draft volume one. In Ohio's volume one, uh, what they submitted to NTIA recently uh, says they accepted NTIA's DSL downgrade. Well, they'll consider uh, DSL areas as underserved, which we think is really good because there's nothing wrong with digital subscriber line technology. It's just that the copper is too old. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing they're doing is proposing to downgrade fixed wireless uh, to an unserved status. And then they um, proposed a speed test process as well. And what that does is there should be a lot of locations that would be kind of green in our nomenclature that will turn red in, in the sense of needing to be funded based on their pre-challenge modifications. Then they have to put it out the challenge. Okay, so Ohio is, and in, in people that um, follow me with the WISP world are tearing their hair out a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, some of the areas that are green in your data, it's because a WISP is serving them with a high quality connection. The speed tests are coming through well, but the state says 
we are nervous enough about this technology on the whole that we are declaring it unserved. And so um, you're, they're going to be adding locations that you would have said for your data are not necessarily the high priorities. No, no, quite the opposite. I got that wrong. Okay. Yeah. So the fixed wireless would show in the FCC maps as providing the coverage. Okay. Um, our speed test data generally does not see that where the fixed wireless providers are claiming that it's not universal. Like mm -hmm. um, I own some property east of here and I'm close enough to a highway that I can pick up a 4G signal from AT&T or 5G signal from AT&T and get a couple hundred megabits. But you go right down the next hill and they can't get anything at all, but mm -hmm. the map shows they can. So I'm not saying fixed wireless can't provide good services. It's in an area like ours, particularly, with the the rugged terrain and the heavy foliage coverage, it's not universal coverage. Right. Okay. So when you said the areas that were turning green, well, that are green, you're talking about the FCC map, not your data. Correct. Okay. That makes sense then. And then I'll also just note, I'm a, I would have liked to have seen DSL be tossed into the unserved rather than the underserved, but we'll still take the win. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I agree. Uh, okay. So the state, before the state opens up for a challenge, it will make these modifications and the state will basically say, we have this list and mm -hmm. these locations, I'm going to guess it's in the neighborhood of what, like 150,000 locations are unserved. Uh, uh, yeah, it's probably closer to 250,000. Okay. So on the order of 250,000 locations are unserved in the state of Ohio. And then they're going to go through a challenge process, which is mandated to be what, like two weeks or 28 days or something like that. Something it's, like that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a mandate as to how long it will be where, um, you know, nonprofits like myself can collect data and say, you got this wrong or, uh, and also ISPs can say, you got mm -hmm. this wrong. Um, uh, so that that process then will winnow us down and the state will have to adjudicate uh, whether or not the challenges uh, have merit or not. Yeah. And this process is something that the state of Ohio did in their first round of residential expansion grant programs last year, that they allowed our maps to be evidence and then said to the ISPs, if you disagree, prove it. So if somebody applied for funding in an area that an ISP is saying, no, I've got good service they said, well, prove it to us. And they rejected about 80% of the ISP challenges as not having sufficient evidence. It's a little broadband office. Uh, at the time, I think there were only four people in that office, and they managed to reverse the burden of proof and raise the bar. Now, there were other cases where, yeah, ISP claims were supported. Um, most of those were, we're building that out in the next two years. We agree it's not there now, but we're already in the process of doing it, it's totally doable uh, to, to reverse the burden of proof and have the ISPs prove it. Because having nonprofits try to gather all this data, who has funding for that? Who has staffing for that? It's a big lift. Right. Because, and to be clear for people, like states can change this, I believe, but the recommendation, which we think most states will go with what NTIA recommends. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, in that situation, if you would like, to make a challenge. And again, I hope I don't get this too wrong, but you'll correct me. Um, basically, an organization like mine would have to work with people locally to do mm -hmm. a series of three speed tests within a specific window of time uh, yeah. and, and collect that data and then present that. That's a burden of proof being on the households and mm -hmm. whatever nonprofits are scattered around. Uh, you're yep. talking about a burden of proof where there's enough evidence to say that it looks like the ISPs are overstating their coverage 
the burden of proof should be on them to demonstrate that they can actually deliver these speeds to these locations. Exactly. Exactly. Because that beat challenge process, the the most useful approach that we think is going to be there are uh, challenging census block groups. So if you get six challenges inside a census block group, now you have an area challenge. So you challenge that whole area instead of just those individual households. We think that's the most effective approach and the speed test data can help you target that. Um, but it's still a big lift. What are you gonna, you got people canvassing door to door to try to find six households to participate. And there's no funding going to these nonprofits to do this work. Uh, it's really a difficult process. Yeah, and for people that, I think if I remember correctly, when I talked with Christine, our senior GIS person on this, um, I think a, 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 um, a block group is about a thousand people or a thousand um, households or so. It'll vary from, but yeah, roughly. Uh, in a more urban area and then fewer in a more rural area. So six is is not undoable, but still mm-hmm. I encourage anyone listening to go around, knock on you know 10 houses of your neighbors and talk, tell them you want to talk about how their internet's doing today and speed test. <laughs> and yeah. I think most of them are going to say, I've, I'm busy. I'm going to work. I've got kids with homework. Like I'm not going to mess around with this. When you have to, they have to provide their name, their address, who their service provider is, um, what speeds they're they're subscribing to, and document that for you, like give you a copy of the bill. Like that's a lot of information for someone to share uh, with some nonprofit. And the other wrinkle in that is you really need to challenge based on the fabric ID location. So now you also have to have them search through the map to find out what their fabric ID is rather than just their address. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough hurdle. It's not going to be easy for people to do that. So the moral of the story is, uh, and I think, you know, there's one of those things we come back to that an individual speed test doesn't tell us a lot from a policy point of view, but uh, we can use a smart algorithm to uh, mm-hmm. get the the data in a condition where we can trust it for a given number of locations in mm-hmm. a region, like a county or something like that. And then we can use that to demonstrate that, uh, hey, like this ISP is actually seems to be pretty close to what they advertise, give them a pat on the back. And uh, for some other ones that are uh, significantly out of step with what the data shows, uh, then, um, you know, you could say this is an area that needs more investigation and this is where we should reverse the burden of proof. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, I think you've seen this, but um, there's places where there's claimed to be a gigabit of service and there's never been a speed test more than like 20 megabits a second or something like that. Right. Well, we've run into that even in urban areas. Um, When the governor's office released our maps, um, I had some folks from cable companies that were really upset saying, well, no, we have gigabit to the curb there, but it's uh, in an impoverished area of a city with a multi-dwelling uh, building. And it's like, well, yeah, but if the people in the building can't actually get it, I'm like, well, that's not our responsibility. You right. know, well, is it the landlord? Is it the resident? All these, all this finger pointing. In that way, the rural areas are actually a little bit easier because it's pretty much, it's usually single family homes. So it's not just a rural issue. Yes. And I think that's the sort of thing where we need elected officials to take this more seriously. And so that that might be the other high horse I'm on right now, which is I am deeply frustrated with 
um, the the local officials that are continuing to bury their heads in the sand. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of local officials who are getting educated on this, taking it seriously. But for every one of them, it feels like there's five to 10 others who are saying, I really hope someone just solves this so I don't have to think about it. And um, that problem that you're describing, if we're going to spend tens of billions of dollars in a number of places, we may not solve that problem if it's actually not you know, the issue that we think it is because right. there's not a recognition of all the other challenges that might go in, not challenge, I shouldn't say challenges, the other issues that can factor into whether or not uh, a group of people has internet access that they can actually use. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Prior to the BEAD program, we had an opportunity to brief the White House on our findings in Ohio and extrapolate it across the country. We suggested a budget of $135 billion nationwide. Um, and that would be everything except the frontier areas where, you know, you've got one household and five square miles, right? It's, and by frontier, you mean remote, not the company frontier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> except for the very remote areas. Um, and we got $42.5 billion, right? So about a third. And then inflation in this industry has gone crazy. Uh, so it's probably $30 billion worth of actual work that's going to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, for what we think is a $130 billion problem. what One of our goals is to try to get entire counties solved because if you solve an entire county, we think 10 years from now, you're going to look at counties that got solved and counties that didn't get solved. And there's going to be such a big difference in the economic measures. Yes, this is something I think the Virginia office does well. And my understanding of how they work with providers is Uh, They don't just take an application and then say, well, here's the money or here's not the money. And I'm not saying they're the only one that that gets in and and wrestles with these issues, but they have a specific focus on making sure that a provider getting money is able to reach out and connect everyone that needs it in the the county rather than just uh, hoping that someone will fill in afterward. Uh, you know, for the areas that don't get it. But I mean, I suspect that what your what your maps will continue to show is over the next three to five years, we'll see some of these areas that are showing up as being very red as unserved will be turning green. Uh, and yet other areas, um, you know, will remain red. Uh, yes. And on the on the federal maps, they might always be green, but <laughs> they're already green. Right. So like this is an area where I mean, I think uh, I, I'm I'm super annoyed, and I've I've said this uh, every chance that I get. I think the whole idea of calling this internet for all is is dumb. It's bad politics. It's counterproductive. Uh, but every state I expect is going to be, you know, supposed to be meeting every unserved household. But we don't have anywhere near the data that we need, and we're not mm-hmm. taking it seriously to incorporate data that you're doing to identify what areas are being skipped over uh, with this historic funding. It's true, and it's interesting you mentioned you know over the next few years are what our mapping will show. It's not at all clear that our mapping will still be happening in a few years because, you know, our funding came through grants that Council of Governments received. Well, those grants run out. And, uh, you know, our, our like right now, our UCLA data runs out December of this year. We don't have a source of funding to subscribe mm-hmm. to the UCLA data uh, after that. So that's another issue here is these consumer advocacy groups don't have this ongoing source of funding like the telcos do. And I can tell you on top of that, philanthropic funds have dried up. We're doing more contract Mm. work now as an organization, and we are more reliant on uh, very generous individuals and and that sort of a thing than we are. uh, You know, we used to get most of our funding from foundations. Now it Mm. is a smaller percentage because 
there is a perception in philanthropy that government is solving this problem because of the internet yeah. for all. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that it is going to be uh, a situation that uh, I hope there will be enough funds to continue doing the research to make sure mm -hmm. that people are truly connected over time. Yeah, me too. Tom, thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, what you're doing. And uh, it's really inspiring work out there in Ohio. Well, thanks, Chris. I'm really glad uh, to know you and I appreciate the work you're doing as well. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.